Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Finance on Instagram. What's not to like? The Instagram generation might be criticised for loving consumption fueled images of designer clothes, expensive brunches and exotic holidays, but the platform is increasingly providing the inspo for those looking to save money, learn to budget and even start a retirement fund or get out of debt. For the younger generation, is getting financial advice via social media a good idea? Well, today I'm thrashing this out on the podcast with Catherine Gemmell, a 24-year-old reporter for FT Money, and Jason Butler, the FT columnist who is, dare I say, more than twice Catherine's age. But he has spent 30 years working in financial services and has lots to tell us about it. So welcome to a special multi-generational edition of the FT Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I am Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, presiding over this week's bun fight. So amid the deluge of selfies, content creators around the world are bringing financial education into the social media mainstream by talking about their money on Instagram. Now, Catherine, you've come to FT Money on an internship through PA News. Yep. You are somebody who does Instagram. Yep. I am somebody who's trying to learn as um, a 43-year-old, um, lamely trying to be hip. But for the benefit of the people in the audience who are not Insta stars, how does Instagram actually work? So Instagram is a photo and video sharing app where you post visual content and keep up to date with your friends, families, favourite celebrities and influencers. Um, it first came onto the scene in 2010 and since Facebook acquired the platform for $1 billion eight years ago, it now boasts 1 billion active users, wow. 500 million of whom use the platform daily. So... Taking a photograph of something, because you can't do a post without, without taking a photograph, it's not like Twitter or, or Facebook. If you're talking about money, which is what your article was revealing, I mean, other than taking pictures of notes and coins, it doesn't strike me as the most illustrative subject. And I say that as somebody who spent much of the last four years trying to find innovative ways of illustrating articles in the FT Money section of the weekend newspaper. So what on earth are people posting pictures of? So Instagram's all about pictures, so it's so much more engaging than other social networks. And this is where the real value of it lies in comparisons to the like of Facebook. So obviously money isn't certainly something that 
that comes across as visual. Um, however, these money Instagrammers are using visual tools to spark an emotional response to money. Mm. So they use the likes of colourful stationery, calligraphy to get their message across, or inspogram as some like to call it. Inspogram. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that. And you identified various different kind of communities of people on Instagram who are united because they follow each other or they use hashtags to um, make sure that they're all talking about the same thing, like mm. the hashtag debt-free community is one that particularly interested me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so within the personal finance community on Instagram, you have what content marketers like to call tribes. Tribes. Um, so these are sort of micro-communities within the bigger Instagram community. Um, you have your frugal types and your budgeters who show how to live a fulfilling life on a budget. Then you also have your parental bloggers um, who talk about the financial realities of parenthood. Um, these provide support and inspiration um, and then there's also, aside from these, you have your investment types and your FIRE crew, which is financial independence retire early. Yes. Now, I've written before about financial independence retire early. This is a, a US movement. I think we could say people who um, advocate saving large amounts of their disposable income as young people like yourself mm -hmm. so that they can stop work or achieve a greater work-life balance um, later on in life, largely through investing in um, low-cost tracker funds. So interesting that the kind of investment um, community is gaining traction. Because a lot of the people who, who are doing FIRE have got quite a lot of money. They're not people who are who are young and potless. This is true, yes. So it, it just shows the many shades of the Instagram personal finance community. You have your people who have a lot of money um, and are showing how to invest and, and use that money. But then you also have the other end of it, like the debt-free community, like you talked about, and people who are really struggling and using the app as a way to um, connect with other people and strive towards being debt-free. Now, as somebody who's written a lot about um, debt in Britain, certainly the Financial Conduct Authority this week said that nearly 8 million Britons um, are in serious levels of, of problem debt, which is a, a worry for us all. Um, I really like the fact that people are using the Instagram platform to be really up close and personal about how they're dealing with their debt problems because it's such a taboo subject. I mean, it takes the average person in problem debt more than two years before they'll consider phoning up a debt helpline with something I learned um, last year, which is just a, a staggering um, statistic. And one of the people who you interviewed in your article, she had been so open about paying down her credit card debts, um, revealing how much she'd um, paid in different posts, how much was left, if she'd made a slip up. And she says um, that she's still being contacted, even now that she has paid off that debt by so many people who are seeing those posts now for the first time and learning learning um, and in their own journey, as people like to say, to, towards becoming debt-free. Yes, definitely. I think that that's one of the things that really became apparent when talking to these Instagrammers was that um, the the support that they got from the community when they just post a simple thing like saying, this is how much I've paid off, even if it was a really small amount or a big amount, it really helped them on this journey, as a lot of the people like to call it. Um, and it, it let them keep going and it gave them a little bit of a boost because as we know money and mental health are really interconnected and sometimes when you're on your debt-free journey it can feel lonely so Instagram makes it feel a little less so so clearly there are lots of things that are happening on on Instagram that we can agree are good but there are also things unfortunately that we can definitely agree are bad insta scams is mm -hmm. how 
it's been summed up. Yes. So last year, the UK fraud authorities warned that hundreds of Instagram users um, had been suckered into a promise of high returns um, and losing nearly £9,000 on average. But Instagram has a help page that helps you to report these scams. So if anything doesn't seem right, if people are offering you large returns for um, small amounts, then you should probably go on that page and report it as suspicious. Well, thanks for running us through your piece, Catherine. If anyone wants to to read it, by the way, we have put it on Instagram um, and it is free to read on ft.com slash money finance on Instagram. What's not to like is the headline to look out for. But Jason Butler, I'm going to bring you in now. I mean, one of the things that you noticed about Instagram as somebody who is, is you know, you're, you're, I think you're what young people would call a lurker. <laughs> you've, you've had a look at it, but you're not actively um, posting um, on Instagram yourself yet, although that may change. Um, what struck you about the platform? Well, it's like everything. Um, financial pornography, as I call it, oh. is everywhere. So in other words, there's a lot of noise out there. And you think of Instagram, as I always say to people, you don't think about social media platforms. What you got to think about is the message, mm. the intention, the motivation, and ultimately what's going to the how someone's going to react to a message or content. And all that Instagram is is a means, it's a platform for which people can connect with, as Catherine was saying, tribes or micro communities or certain groups of people. A bit like Channel Four when it first opened in the eighties. You could you could I remember a, a, a client of mine who was very high in advertising. He said, "I can target." A, a sort of uh, gay guys in their 20s easier through that medium than any other at the time in the 80s in terms of advertising reach and it's the same with Instagram so so you've got to you've got to sort of go beyond the noise it is a platform it's got it's a very very noisy platform but it has limitations in terms of what it can actually get through so the good thing is that I've seen is that there are innovative ways that you get people thinking and becoming self-aware and be kind of as you say whether it's they're in difficulties with debt owning up to that and taking some action and doing something about it, or the fire movement. So in my case, you know, I've got strong views about fire as a movement, but as a principle for becoming financially independent is a great thing, but don't feel so bad if you don't want to become part of a fire community and be financially independent at 35. You're not a bad person. So so if it inspires people, I've seen some great inspiring what I call hooks in there, but then when you dig through some of this, some of the people are charlatans or they're even what I call unconsciously incompetent. They don't actually know what they're doing. They're, mm. they're content creators who have just happened to have come across for personal finance as, kind of, as another hook. And some of them are well-intentioned. And as, as we found with scammers, some of them actually have ill intent. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I was really struck by that you immediately noticed is the number of women on Instagram, who have built up massive followings. I mean, many of them are Americans. The budget mom we talked about in the piece, we really like her. Um, but also, young people and women in general are exactly the kind of people that the mainstream financial services industry is not really talking to at the moment. So, should we should we really be surprised that Instagram is becoming a forum they can express themselves in? Yes, they've been disenfranchised groups, definitely, young people and and female, um, and to a lesser extent, some racial groups, Mm. um, as you'll see in in different countries. But I think think what you're actually seeing is that money really is an emotional construct. It's an abstract thing, and it is actually more about emotion, about the stories you tell yourself, about the, the, the excuses you give yourself, about the impulses you have, about the voids that you need to fill, about the addictions you've got to feel, whatever it is, or, or, or even that you want to brag to the world to make yourself feel better, that aren't you, aren't you great? Whatever it is, it's an emotional thing, and money's just one of those excuses to connect with people emotionally. And, and when you realise that money is an emotional thing, it's not about a maths test, 
I mean, there are aspects of it that you need to know functionally, but mostly money is an emotional and behavioural uh, issue. And therefore, if if people can connect with you, as Catherine was saying earlier, in emotionally, then you've got attention, and attention is the big problem. So yeah, I think I think um, I think. That's a reason why some of these microgroups, but particularly females and young people, are connecting, because we're much more open now about our feelings, our mental health, and and money and mental health is is up there with you know breathing and and uh, eating. Absolutely interesting that you use the word telling ourselves stories about money, Jason. Because one of the things that Catherine um, has explained to me over the last few weeks is how to do a story on Instagram. Do you want to enlighten any other similarly middle-aged people who are listening? Yes. Yeah, so on Instagram, as a lot of people know, you can post your standard grid post, which is basically the picture that comes up under your account. But aside from this, you can also use the story function, which basically means that you can put up a picture or a video and it lasts for 24 hours and it's associated with your account for only that long. So um, you can put up maybe if you're out at an event or if you're cooking something nice to dinner and it'll be there for 24 hours and it'll disappear. But if you don't want it to disappear after 24 hours, you can make it a highlight function with on your page. So, for instance, when Claire last week asked me, how do I pin this to my profile? Um, that she made a lovely little collection about... About your article. About my article. About where to get the best overdraft. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's a great um, function to be able to tell stories. Um, and I think that's what a lot of these Instagrammers from personal finance Instagrammers are doing, um, is using it as a way to tell stories, to share information with people um, and to educate. Well, certainly, if you want to follow the FT on Instagram at Financial Times, um, I think it's nearly 2 million people um, who are doing that. Sadly, there's only about 400 people who follow me. I'm at Claire B. But as Jason said, you know, our obsessions come out on social media and mine is mostly to do with saving money, um, cooking thrifty meals and collecting them in Bridgewater mugs. But moving swiftly on, Catherine, you were very inspired by some of the um, comments that FT readers left um, on your piece. Not all of them, I have to say, were particular fans of Instagram, although many of them found it very interesting to have this insight into a young person's financial world. Well, yeah, so I was particularly interested in one comment from Walolo said, um, personally, I can't stand social media finance gurus. The intensely smug, we paid off our mortgage in our 30s humble braggers. The index fund fanboys parroting the same old advice ad nauseum. The FX trader lifestyle scammers etc etc however someone else um the phenomenology of logic said (laughs) um snide remarks from old school ft city types won't dent the undeniable expansion of insta into areas scarcely imagined a couple of years ago well i mean it is interesting the way that it's kind of divided um the the commentators the one that really made um me laugh with somebody saying why does everything have to be a journey (laughs) (laughs) yes and then someone actually replied to shouldn't it be a trip so which was quite funny um and and another uh, comment that made me laugh was metal man said insta is all cat videos and tiktok dances and uh, another commenter replied Journeyman replied, it's curated to your own viewing habits, so apparently that's all you've clicked on. <laughs> well, mess with these young people's tools at your peril, I think, is the answer. Now, stay with us, Catherine, because we're going to turn the tables now on the FT Money Show. We've heard Jason telling us what he thinks about Catherine's article on Instagram, but two weeks ago, in his wealth man slot, um, 50-year-old Jason wrote an article in which he explored the things that he wished he knew about money when he was 21 years old. Now, Jason, 
a lot of the things in this article were aimed at your own daughters who are not much younger than Catherine. Yeah, 21 and 16, yeah. So they are developing their own stories about money, um, can I say. But the advice that you're giving people um, in this article, the things that you wish you had known um, when you were 21, talk us through a few of those. Yeah, so we all have a different perspective on life and money. And obviously, when I was putting together my list, it was kind of looking at it from all the mistakes and my own upbringing. So everyone will have a different perspective. And this wasn't to say, this is what you must do if you're a young person. It was to say, this is what I've learned with my journey. You might come up with different answers if you've had a different, different. if we can use that journey word. Um, but the issue there was that about the meaning of money was one that I was really keen for them to understand, that you hear people either are obsessed with money or they think it's the, the root of all evil. You know, it's kind of, you go, biblical terms, you know, mm. everyone's horrible. And actually, money isn't good or bad at all. Money is just a sort of means of exchange. It's just a means of measurement. And it's what you do with the money and how you earn your money, which is probably more important than anything. So money has the meaning that you give it. Um, and I always say here that although it can alleviate sadness... Um, it definitely can because if you're skint and we know if people are in debt and they don't know where the next ch- and they're living paycheck to paycheck or, or going to be thrown out of accommodation, that's a terrible thing, terrible way to live. And money can definitely make you happier in terms of getting rid of sadness and hardship. But money itself can't make you happy and fulfilled just to be rich for the sake of it. I mean, yes, you can be. You All the studies show that if you have more money than most people, you have a higher chance of being happier. But on its own, it won't because if you don't use it in the right way, if you don't use it in a way that's intentional with what's important to you and that makes you feel, you know, like a human being, a decent human being's got some purpose, then it's probably not going to help you. Now, I think one of the biggest problems for young people nowadays is obviously the property market. If you're going to inherit wealth, then that's probably one of the only surefire ways that you can know that you will end up owning your own house in future. But in the meantime, people who are saving lots of money towards a housing deposit for many years are obviously finding it quite hard to achieve the same financial milestones that generations previous to them would have found much easier to reach. Well, housing is a big issue. Um, and as I said in, in my sort of article, that you really want to aim to have your housing and your commuting cost, whether that's renting or buying, certainly not more than 30 to 35% of your earnings. Obviously, in London, that's more and more difficult. But in, might... Impossible, I would say. <laughs> well, no, it's possible because I did research on this. Um, mm. As a company I do work with, Salary Finance, and, and the vast majority of their people are under the age of 35, and I asked 10 people, and most of them were between 25 and 34% was, was housing and commuting costs. So the issue here is not that it's difficult, we know it's difficult, but that you might have to rethink your career. It might be that actually there is a job in Newcastle that is a tech job, that actually when you actually add up the total cost of housing and the salary, that is actually a better quality of life for you. We, the problem is people think, ah, oh, London's where the jobs are. Oh, it's really expensive. Oh, isn't it really difficult? Well, reverse engineer it back. I'm not saying all the answers. I'm just saying reverse engineer back, say, where could I work where there was a great stimulating job that could help me build my human capital, where I could have a social life, where I wasn't spending two hours commuting and net of costs it enabled me to not just enjoy life, but also put some money aside and avoid debt. So I think that was the point. It's not to say it wasn't, it's easy, it mm. isn't. But think about it in a different way. Where could I have that quality of life? Where could I have that career? Where could I have that ability to save and avoid debt? Now, when you were 21, what of all of the things that you suggested in your article is the piece of information that you really wished you had known? Oh, 
developing good money habits, daily money habits, learning to say no more and um, and to sort of and just to be a little bit more controlled. I mean, I hired a nightclub for my 23rd birthday and I spent £2,000 on it. I mean, what lunatic does that? I mean, it was just something, it was a laugh. I just did it and it was a great party. I was going to say, I bet it was a great party. (laughs) Even to this day I bump into who say that they were at the party and I know damn well they weren't because I never invited them. It's like the Sex Pistols. I mean, we never had the white horse coming in with Bianca Jagger, but we certainly (laughs) had a few things going on and it was great fun. Nevertheless, it was great fun, but I'm using it as an extreme. I I didn't even think about the long term. I I just thought I was going to be young, I was going to earn lots of money and I never needed to worry. And it wasn't so much that, um, you know, I've tried to keep myself physically and mentally well, but I just uh, I, I just wish I'd got into better daily habits earlier. And it was really getting married and my wife suggesting that she might want to start, we might want to start a family and that I had to sort of, you know, sort of get serious. And I just wish I'd done that five or six years a bit earlier. It doesn't mean I wouldn't be socialising. It perhaps meant a few less holidays, perhaps not such a flash car, perhaps not so much socialising and not having, you know, tailored suits and stuff. You know, just 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 a little bit of less excess would have set me up for greater because I sold my first property and lost £17,000 on it because I bought it in 1989 and sold it in 94 and that was a property crash. So that's just another thing is that just because property's done really well doesn't mean you're always going to be floated out of problems. And you've got to prepare for when life throws you curveballs. Mm. It's not if, it's when. And the big problem people don't think of is they don't plan for when the when it's going to rain. You know, fix the roof when the sun is shining. And one of the, you know, having a £2,000 tattoo when you haven't got any savings, I'm sorry, you've just got to make some key priorities because if the price of having that tattoo and no savings when you lose your job or you'll get ill or something happens with your car means you've got no money and you have to get into debt, it's those small choices every day that really are, you are responsible. And that's one of the reasons why, when Catherine was saying that, I think you were saying actually earlier, that a lot of people find it very difficult to fess up about debt. And I know because I put the O into overdraft when I was in my 20s, despite earning a lot of money. And the reason is, is because when we have, to sh- we have to own up to debt problems or the fact we haven't saved enough or we can't afford a house or whatever it is, and sometimes that's genuine, it's not your own fault. But for many of us, it, it reflects the fact that we feel stupid, we feel guilty, we feel shame, we feel embarrassed about the fact that we haven't been better with money than we should have done. Mm. And be. and also the fact that many people who are who are boasting about their lifestyle and their purchases um, on platforms like Instagram might be lying, or in the case of some ASOS shoppers, buying the clothes, trying them on, taking a photo, and, and then sending them back. Catherine, you're you're smiling at me. I'm sure that you are not one of the people that ASOS has banned um, from its site from for this practice. But you read Jason's column when it came out two weeks ago. If you want to read it, it's on ft.com/money um, at the moment. What would you like to ask Jason um, from the point of view of a 24-year-old seeking advice? So, yeah, so I did read your column and I actually said to the FT Money Desk I was going to cut it out and put it in my purse because it's all the tips that I really need in my life. Um, one quote stood out to me and it said, The good news is you'll have a longer working life during which to save, invest and to accumulate wealth. So my question is, how can, as a millennial and a Gen, a Gen Z, how can we feel optimistic about having to work into our 70s and 80s when previous generations didn't have to do that? Well, the good news is you'll, you should be able to have more choices to the work. So, so all the studies show, and I'm not saying what's important to you, but so for instance, I, I'm fortunate that I'm 
financially independent as long as we don't go berserk on spending. Don't get me wrong, not buying boats and nine houses. But, you know, I, I, I choose to work because I like working, right? Now, I'm not saying that to be smug. I'm saying that this is my choice. The thought of not working, and I just happen to get paid for what I do, but the thought of not working fills me with dread because it's a key part of my life and I like doing what I do and it gives me fulfilment and purpose. So what I'm trying to say is that it's not about the drudgery of a job you hate. It may be that you have to do things you don't like or that aren't your passion or aren't your big calling just to earn money initially. But over time, the ability to keep earning money from gradually doing things that you really like and that, that are in balance with the other things you want to do, it means not necessarily working as intensely, but perhaps for longer. And I know lots of people who are working two or three days a week, earning as much as they're earning at five or six days a week, but still got time for other things. And they enjoy that because they actually now kind of know what they're doing. So I think I think if you really hate working and and your big calling is to be an artist and and no one but that no one's ever going to buy your art until you're dead, um, that may be more tricky. But I think it's actually supposed to be in a negative. I think personally, if you can find what you're good at, eventually you don't have to be all through your life. And if you can find things that you can also deliver value to others and get paid for that value, then I think that's a good thing. So in other words. If you've got longer, all this idea of I've, I've read various articles, including the FT, it says you've got to save so much money and it's you've got to live on beans and, you know, rivitas forever. And you've got to, you know, if you spend anything on a holiday, you're a terrible person. I'm saying that, that a little for longer means that money's got more time to work for you. And if that means that you can work part time, even if it's a job that you're not 100% right, but you can have more time to do other things, then actually I think it's a it's a it's a blessing. Uh, in the sense that it's just a different way of looking at it. Because naturally, we want to think about all the pain and what we haven't got, and we want to blame the previous generations, and you had it easy and all that. Great. We never had the internet. We never had social media. We never, we could never start businesses with microfinancing. We, we, there was none of this stuff. I mean, we used to go to the library to look up stuff. Do you remember? Well, you're younger. I'm still there, a member of a library. Yeah, several yeah. libraries. <laughs> so does that sort of, does it give you a, 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 a sort of sense? And again, side hustles. You know, mm-hmm. I, I know someone who's doing counselling in her 60s. She stopped as a nurse and she's earning almost as much as she was as a nurse, as a counsellor, and she only does it three days a week and she loves it. So, yeah, so... From that, apart from what you said about Claire, about having better attitudes towards money, out of all of this advice that you give in your column, what advice would you say to begin with for a young person who's never budgeted and lives paycheck to paycheck? First thing you've got to do is you've got to build your cash buffer. And what you have to do is if you don't decide where your money goes before it comes in, in other words, uh, um, the, the, the term from America was give every pound a job or every dollar a job. So unless you decide where every penny's going to go, as I always say to everyone, I have a £1,000 a month to spend on fun. When I say fun, just anything I want to spend on. It could be, you know, does, I don't know if that's a lot Going of to a nightclub. Well, whatever. But, you know, <laughs> coffees or whatever. I don't have to worry. But, I, but I, I put that money aside, and so does my wife, and we don't have to answer to each other. We don't have to. She's always running a big balance of that, and I'm always down to a pound, so I'm always asking for strategic transfers from her pot, and she said, no way, Jose. But the point is, we decide where our money goes at the beginning of the month. If you can get into the habit of doing it, and that means making allowance for socialising, making allowance for all those impulse purchases, making allowance for the holiday and those stag do's and all the tattoo you want to have, whatever it is, make allowance for it at the beginning of the month so that you then have got space for building cash reserve, building savings, putting a bit more in the pension, building the house fund, whatever it is, but it's being intentional and also giving yourself permission to spend the fund money as well. As somebody who is 
a bit younger than Jason, but obviously a lot older than you, Catherine. I would add to that. Number one, do not get a tattoo. I'm constantly <laughs> saying to my stepchildren, don't let me see a tattoo when you go into the bathroom. But as um, I found in my own life, definitely decide what you're going to do with the money at the beginning of the month. But I also find it quite helpful to decide roughly what I'm going to do with the money at the beginning of the year, because you always get those three days between Christmas and New Year and being a sad sack um, finance journalist. I will say to my husband, like, well, you know, well, where do we want to go on holiday this year? Roughly how much is that going to cost? OK, so how much are we going to have to save towards funding those goals? What likely expenses are we going to incur in the form of the children? You know, like one of them has had an expensive dental implant on the cards um, for a while, you know, which is on the, the Barrett household shopping list. But also things like tax bills, which can be variable. How much money are we going to need to put aside um, for those. Now, I mean, if you were a younger person, then yeah, you'd be looking at housing deposits, maybe saving up to do a master's degree. I know lots of young people who want to do that. And it's just kind of like looking at how is it possible to put a bit of money aside every month that can kind of make some more of those goals possible. But a little bit of organisation can go a long way because then if when your paycheck comes in, you've got money going out to you know a savings account. I know you can only get about 1.3% interest, which is now sadly less than today's inflation figures, but it's like the separation of like putting yeah. that money somewhere different that will stop you from spending it. It's not the interest. It. It's not mm. the interest. Cash is about giving you options. It's about making the if there's a financial calamity, or even if there is something that you haven't budgeted for that you really do want to deal with, it gives it means a, a, a drama just becomes an inconvenience. It's not if, it's when. You can just handle it. And I wrote a blog on my own website um, last year called about how to get control of all your spending. And it is this irregular but inevitable spending, whether it's the car servicing, the holiday or whatever it is, Christmas presents, that you have to factor in at the beginning of the year and put an amount aside. So if you're earning £1,500 a month and you think you're spending 1200 well, actually, if you're actually spending £4,800 £4, a year on other stuff, that's actually £1,600 a month. You're actually spending £100 a month more than you're earning. So unless you get good grips with that, it doesn't matter how much you earn, lifestyle creep, the ability for your spending to continually rise and sometimes quicker than your earnings means that you'll never make space for buying a house, building retirement funds, um, building an emergency fund. And, and it's not complicated. But the thing here is this is all about having fun now. It's not about living like a monk on Ravitas so that you can have the, <laughs> the golden time, you know, when you're 35, because that isn't real for most people. It is about having permission so that when you go and spend frivolously on stuff that makes life fun and interesting and spontaneous, that you're not derailing yourself on the rest of your life. And that's why I created the Money on Track system, which is this one-year planner, which is where you can see everything from your your uh, when your utility bills come up for renewal, your broadband and all that, so that you can actually, on all your core stuff as well, make allowance and, and make course corrections. What do you think about all of this advice that us old farts are giving to you, Catherine? I think it's brilliant, but I think also um, to bring back in the Instagram accounts and the Instagram personal finance um, accounts, um, it's kind of what they're also doing. It's the medicine and the cheese. It's the Trojan horse, as one of our Instagrammers like to call it. It's just reminding people that as long as they plan and they put a name to their money and they're just a bit more conscientious about it, then it can be easy and it doesn't have to be a chore. Just being, just as I say, being intentional being aware, working out what's important. And and it's not about no time, loads of time. It's a little bit of time. And it's not about being easy. It's about being easier. And we're all on our own journey, right? Definitely. 
<laughs> well, at which point the journey for this podcast has reached its final stop. Thank you very much for joining us. I am Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor. We will be back next week at the usual time. If you would like to contact us um, about a future item for the podcast, you can email me money at ft.com. Follow us on Twitter at FT Money and Instagram. Financial Times is the account to follow. We'll be back next week at the usual time. Goodbye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.